All right. Thank you, Janet. Thank you, George, and to our team. We appreciate you. Ella, thank you. God bless you with the children today. All right, friends, if you have your Bibles, open them. There's a, you need to, if there are seatbelts on the chairs, I would ask you to put your seatbelt on because we are going to zoom today. We're going to just zoom through some of uh, cross-references, but there are three that I would just love for you to physically have before you. If it's not on your, on your phone, then in the book itself. And those references are Ephesians chapter 6, Romans chapter 8, and James chapter 4. Okay? When we come to those readings that you literally see it yourself. Uh, the others, I'll just make cross-reference and just say them for you for time's sake. And... Um, these messages are recording, so are recorded, so if you miss the references, don't worry, we can pick it up later. All right. Apologize, I had a nice PowerPoint already with some of it. It just didn't work today. Our team will tell you, we had, we had some demons there this morning. At 8 o'clock in the morning, nothing was working. But uh, we got it right. Okay, remember last week I had said that as we were engaging now this topic of the armor of God and this cosmic battle that we're called to engage. Remember, we were fighting God. We were. There's always been a spiritual battle. Whether you believed it or not, whether you were in Christ or out of Christ, out of Christ, you were fighting God. But by the grace of God, He's turned you. Your disposition now is fighting the devil's schemes and, and his crew or his henchmen. That's, so there's still a battle. The object is different. And so... In this, this whole new narrative, the question was, I mean, how real is this? Because it doesn't feel real. Eh? Remember I was saying, it doesn't feel real. I mean, is this real? Is this that urgent? Is it that urgent? And so what I thought today was to, to really just double-click on this paradox uh, and this irony here. Um, it, well, irony is the wrong word. This dichotomy. And this morning's message is called the real life devil. The real life devil. Okay? So I, now our guests here this morning, <laughs> the devil's not normally our topic, okay? Um, but it would be good for us to have the devil be our context today. Why? Because God wants us to have this vision. God thinks it's imperative. That no matter what we think is reality, we see His reality. Amen? Amen? And so God's put it in the Scripture quite clearly. And the scope and scale of this topic, we will, we will just try to surmount. We will try to surmount. But as we engage this topic, the real life devil, we do so because God wants us to be clear on this matter. God wants us to engage this matter and have this in front of us, beloved. And the problem is... Most of us have fallen for his first scheme that he wants to remain invincible. He doesn't want you to know the scope and scale of himself. He doesn't want you to know how attached he is to what you're hearing, what you're listening, what you're seeing, what you're doing. He'd rather you not know that he's connected to it at all. He's not going to send you an email with a tracker number for the scheme that's coming your way this week. You're not going to know it. It's just And most often... The bomb already goes off, and we didn't even know. Why didn't we not know? And so God would have us know. God would have us be wise. God would have us be ready. Amen? Amen. 
God would have a double check. Hold on. Yes, there's sin. Yes, there's our weaknesses. Yes, there's calamities, sickness, illness, war. There's all these things, but there's another element. There is a real life devil in this. That is a biblical view of our sin, our weaknesses, our circumstances, and the context we find ourselves. The devil is in the mix. He's in the mix. So we're adjusting our view of reality because God said so. And every time we open His worldview, we're adjusting our worldview accordingly. Amen? And I trust you will, beloved, all of us. Just take on this worldview. It would in us reap, we would reap a harvest of righteousness as we've prayed. Okay. So our, our text is this, Ephesians chapter 6. And the text is verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Whose schemes? The devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, to stand. So I just want to highlight this reality because it could seem to us, you know, that this is Marvel. This is DC comic stuff. This isn't real, but this is very real. In fact, God says this is the reality of things. Now, our eyes have been opened by the grace of God to see this reality. But as our eyes have been opened to this reality, we understand that, hold on, the devil's been part of this from the beginning. He's always been against us. Even out of, even before Christ. Even before we took on this gospel and took on his righteousness as a new identity and doing church and doing Christian faith. Friends, the devil was against you from day one. Because we read in Ephesians chapter 2, what do we read? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Where was that death located? Why were we spiritual dead? We were spiritually dead in our transgressions and sins. In our offenses to God. In our aggressively seeking to rebel against God. In our schemes against God. In our sin before God. We were spiritually dead. And that is in which you used to live. We used to live in that death. And what was the standard of that life? Well, here was the standard of that life. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. That was our standard of living. The ways of this world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That is what we were. That one was against us from day one. We were dead in our transgressions. Dead in our sins, spiritually dead, living by a standard, not of God, but standard of a worldly standard. Following whose rules? The prince of the kingdom of the air. Who's that? The real life devil. The real life devil. In fact, we read it in, in 6 verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. 
in the heavenly realms. The real life devil. It sounds so surreal. God says, it's real people. It's real. Before you even committed your life to Christ. Submitted to His standard. What's our new standard? Our standard is not the way of the world. Our standard is not the principalities and powers of this devil. Our standard is you know, obedience and holiness and life in Christ. But here's the point this morning, everyone. Underline this. That God is defining for us reality. No matter what you feel, you may not feel the devil is real. You may not even see that the devil is real. You might even be tempted to think this is, you know, make-believe, fairy tale stuff. I mean, isn't it? Don't you feel that little bit peculiar when you tell someone you're a Christian and there's God and the devil? <laughs> Young people, you feel it at school. Tell them. You feel peculiar. But this is reality. This is reality. That before Christ, even in our unbelief, we were submitted to this one. You may not have thought you were. You didn't even know. But you were. You were connected to Him. You were attached, married to Him. You, he said you did. He thought you thought. He, he went, you went. That's how it was. The ruler of the kingdom of the air, the prince of the power of the air. Look how formidable this enemy was. We see that he's in the heavenlies, this one that was against you and us and everyone is in the heavenlies. But then he's also described as, you know, that we were children of disobedience or children of the wrath of God. So whether it's in the heavens or whether it's on earth, friends, the devil does not like you. Wherever you are now in Christ in Christ, we are united in His death. We are united in His resurrection. We are united in His ascension. Amen? Amen? We are in Christ. And in a sense, we are in the heavenlies. But even there, the devil does not like you. So whether in the heavenlies or whether here, as children of disobedience, children of God's wrath, He doesn't like you. He is against you, even in Christ. He doesn't like you, and he is against the devil is real, not because you feel it, not because you, you, you don't see it. He's very close to you and very attached. So now I'm going to run through a few uh, references together. My first reference is Acts 26. I will rescue you. This is now uh, Jesus talking to Paul and his, his mission. Okay. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. That's Jesus to Paul. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Dear Paul, this is the reality. This is your mission now remember, Paul was a good guy. He was a moral guy. He was a stand-up guy, top of his class, top of his college, cum laude, Pharisee, could leverage a legacy. People would listen to him. He's a good guy. He's got life together. He's connected. 
Friends, that good guy was full of the devil. Full of the devil. And doing the devil's schemes. Full of that good guy. See the dichotomy. See it. And see what how God's reality is defined to Paul. Paul, you are going to go and rescue people literally from Satan to God. Do we even talk like this? You know? 1 John 3, 7-10. 1 John 3, 7 to 10. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. I mean, that's, you couldn't put it any other way, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. But God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. This is how we know who is the children of God and who are the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. I mean, it's after the devil mentioned, the real life devil. So, I mean, in Christ there is a difference. You're not following, you know, habitual sin. You're not in that rut. You're not in that pattern. You're not enslaved to that. In Christ you have a new rut, a new habit. A new path, habits of obedience, habits of holiness. That's, that's your new. There is a difference because there is a God and there is the devil. There's a difference. Thank heavens for the good news. As we said in verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Amen? Hallelujah. Because there is a devil. 1 Timothy 2, 24-26 And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. He's talking about the qualifications of elders. Alright? And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. And they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to his will. So, the devil traps. He traps. So, this is how we come into the world. And we are connected to this. Maybe we never saw it. Maybe we never believed it. Maybe we never even heard of it. Maybe we were unaware. But even before Christ, the devil was against us, and in Christ, the devil is against us. All right, we got it. We got it. All right, we're good. All right. But friends, on this note, we have to just sort of sidestep. Did you know that there is something even more ominous than the devil? How lucky were we? How, no, wrong word. How fortunate we were that in all our rebellion before Jesus Christ, in all our arrogance, and all our weaknesses and our sin and our blatant disregard for God, our ignorance in all of that. You know what was worse than that? Maybe we fell for every scheme of the devil. Our flesh had full liberty. What is more ominous than the devil is that we lived and did not have to suffer the wrath of God. The wrath of God is so much more severe than the devil. Aren't we so blessed that we escaped that? 
while we were proud to just let it all out, let it shine. Every, everything that was anti-Christ, anti-God, which we felt was so normal, so common, so fine, so fun, so life. We in it, put it in His face and the wrath of God did not take us. How blessed are we? That's worse than the devil. That is, that is a massive, massive escape. That is more dangerous than the devil. The wrath of God. And it's good to weigh up the wrath of God with the devil and his schemes. Because, I mean, we must focus on the devil. We're doing that this morning. And there's nothing wrong in highlighting our emphasis on the devil. But what is more dangerous is the wrath of God. The wrath of God. That's, that should just make you shudder. That up until we met Christ over us, over all of us, was the wrath of God. Ephesians 2 verse 3 says, We were children of wrath. Children of wrath. We deserved God's righteous judgment. We walked in the devil's ways. The cravings of our flesh, the desires and our thoughts. And we missed the mark. And that is more dangerous than any devil's crew. Than any devil's crew. Luke 12, 4 to 5. A few references. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. So Jesus is just getting the fear balance right in his disciples. This is what you should fear. Don't fear those that kill the body. Fear him who after your body has been killed has the authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear him. So that equalizes everything. It should equalize everything. As we are to fear the devil, friends, fear more the wrath of God. He is the one that puts people into hell. Fear that one. Hebrews 10, 30-31. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The real life devil, yes. But the reality of God's wrath, worse. Worse. And beloved, that in Jesus Christ, we have been saved from. Amen. Fear that one. Our real danger wasn't the devil's schemes. Our real danger is the wrath of God. The wrath of God. All right. Romans 8. Remember I told you to have your Bibles there. All right. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Yes. The devil is real. Got it. His schemes, the scope and scale, he's not omnipresent, right? He's not like God. He's not omnipresent, but he has a crew. He has a crew that affects every single one of us in every kind of context, in every kind of circumstance. He is real. We also have God's wrath over that. So the odds are stacked against us. They are. Now, Romans chapter 8. Verse 31. 
What then shall we say? In response to these things. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who has raised to life? is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, Neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. In this one, in this one, friends, you have three big things. You have seen and felt the weight of this ominous wrath of God. You have been disclosed to us the reality of a real life devil and his crew. Light and darkness. Sin and, and death. Right? But what we've also been exposed to by the grace of God is that this one, this Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us, that death absorbed that wrath. Theologians call it propitiation. Propitiation. That's the first thing we have. We have, by the grace of God, in the Lord Jesus Christ, His propitiation. Never mind the devil's schemes. Our biggest enemy was the wrath of God. The wrath of God. That was our greatest obstacle. That was the biggest need. That was the scariest enemy. That was not just going to kill us. It was going to kill us and have a hopeless death. An eternity in hell. That was a massive problem. And in the Lord Jesus Christ's death, in His propitiation, He drank the cup of God's wrath for you. Amen. There is no cup. The cup is empty. All that you deserved, all that I deserved, all that we deserved, past, present, future, all the enmity, all the hostility, every scheme, Every bad thought, every bad thing, everything we didn't do, everything immoral, whatever added, everything, the file is thick. That was the cup that Jesus drank. He absorbed that wrath on our behalf. We have Jesus Christ's propitiation. And that is not a small thing. Amen? So, when we read the likes of Ephesians chapter 6, finally, be strong in the Lord. That's no joke. Because only in the Lord do you have that kind of strength. Never mind the devil's schemes. Only in God are you safe from God himself. That's your enemy. God himself. And Jesus Christ turns that fear of God into a beautiful fear. So we have that. Yes, in this gospel, Jesus triumphed over the devil. Amen. He lived, he died, he rose again. And our sins have been freed. 
But in this gospel, understand, we have been saved from the wrath of God. Never mind the schemes of the devil. It's included. But I think in this study this morning, it's much bigger than that. It's much heavier than that. The scale and scope is wider than that. I pray you'll never worship Jesus the same again. Because you realize what He's done for you. Amen? What He's done for us. This is real. This is reality. God saved us from Himself to Himself, and He did that through His Son. Now God, that one, is no longer against you. But in our reading, we see that what is He doing on our behalf? He's interceding, verse 34. I mean, if, if that wasn't enough, right? Verse 34 says, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God. And also interceding for us. Now, it's, you, you could read that on the surface and think, okay, Jesus took the cup of wrath. And now, he's like, every time we do something wrong, God, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. You know, <laughs> don't be cross. Don't be cross. I'm interceding for you. It's not like that. Who's also in the heavenlies against us? The devil. The cup is empty. God is not angry with us. He's angry and the anger was burned by His Son. His Son took the justice. The justice has been met. But there's someone else there who's a slandering, who's accusing, who's commenting because He's against us there. But Jesus Christ is also there and He's interceding for us. Every comment, every accusation, every lie, it might even be truth. Whatever the devil is throwing at us there, Jesus Christ is interceding on behalf. Who gets the last word? Jesus Christ gets the last word. The whole room of God's throne is not full of the devil's accusations. The throne room of God is full of Jesus Christ's intercessions on our behalf. How formidable we are. Amen? How formidable we are. No joke, Paul. Finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. In Jesus' propitiation and His prayer. And His prayer. It made all the difference. Even between Peter and Judas. Why did Judas die and Peter lived? They both had the same weaknesses, the same sin. They had the same propitiation. It was all there. The difference was Jesus said to Peter, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. Jesus didn't get that prayer. And Jesus didn't make it. But friends, we have the intercessions of Christ Himself. Amen? Yes, the devil is real life. God's wrath is ominous. But we have Jesus Christ, the greater one. We have His propitiation and we have His prayers. We'll never worship Jesus the same again. No matter what the enemy accuses of us in the heavenlies or here on earth below. Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. 
That is a massive, massive work. A massive work. And so, friends, you and I are formidable against the enemy's schemes. Formidable. And on top of that, if you thought that propitiation was enough, if propitiation plus his prayer wasn't enough, we are told to finally be strong in the Lord and in his power. And we've forgotten what power we have. Ephesians 1 verse 15. I keep praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order to may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above rule, all rule, and authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. We have that power. It's that power we have in that name. And that name only. It's only that name that is that propitiation. It's only that name that prayer is like that. It's only that name that that power is given to us who believe. Amen? That's what we have. That's what we have. Okay. So we have this, these realities. Where does it come up? Because remember now, does it seem this is real? You know what seems real to me is people on people. That seems real to me. That seems like a war. People on people. Sometimes weekly, sometimes daily. It's people on people. Where does this devil come to the surface? And there are hundreds of examples. I'm just going to highlight a few. But this one that is against us, he's against us even having God's word. Did you know that? In the parable of the sower... Right? Who comes and snatches the seed? The devil. He takes that seed. He does not want anyone to know this word or have this word. Luke 8, 11 to 12. And even when we have this word, 1 Timothy 4, 11, if we have this word, he wants to get in there and make sure it's messed up. Even when we have it. 1 Timothy 4, verse 11. In later times... Some will abandon their faith. Why? Why would they abandon their faith? Why would they let go of this word? And follow deceptive spirits taught by demons. He's not for anyone having this word. And even if they have this word, he would have them fall away or be taught by demons. Okay. If they do have the word. And they navigate successfully truth and good doctrine. Is the devil let go? Does he give up? Does he say, okay, you won? No. We see in Revelation chapter 2. Who imprisons Christians? The devil puts them in prison. Who persecutes Christian believers? Revelation 2 verse 10 tells us directly who's, who's at fault. The devil does that. So he's against us having the word. He's against us using the word. He's against us even when we have the word. He's against us. That's where the devil comes to the surface. 
We talked about last week about Ephesians chapter 4. In our anger, do not sin. Why do we not sin? Because who gets a foothold? The devil gets a foothold. In our anger, the devil. That's where this warfare comes to life. James chapter 4. That's the text I wanted everyone to have up in front of them. James chapter 4. Because this devil war seems so invincible, right? It seems so otherworldly, like a Marvel comic. But here it is, face to face, in reality, James chapter 4 verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. He's talking to Christians, by the way. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend on what you get on pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that the friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God? Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he, is, that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says, God opposes the pride but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So where's the devil's scheme the devil's scheme is highlighted in anything but submitting yourself to God. What does that look like, not submitting myself to God? Well, running after pleasures. If that is the idol. Running after pleasures, quarreling, fighting, killing, and the list goes on. There's a whole list there of the devil. Right in front of our face. Right, right up. Invisible. That's how he gets us. Conflicts, lusting, envies, pride, quarrels. That sounds like my week. I won't go into all of them. 1 Corinthians 7. When husbands and wives deprave, when they withhold themselves sexually from one another, who's, who's, who's mentioned in that? The devil. The devil is in the bedroom. In the bedroom. Oh, when there's church discipline, both ways, to, to, to restore that lost sheep, who's in the mix? The devil. And when that lost sheep is restored and the church has to embrace them again, who's in the mix? Be sure the devil's in the mix. In the bedroom, even at church. Ananias and Sapphira, remember? Selling their house, lying to the church, they gave everything to the Lord. What's that? That's greed. And who's in the mix? Peter says, You are filled with the devil. And Job, remember Job's story? And his calamity and his suffering. Who's in the mix? The devil. Now, not every calamity and not everyone's suffering will be directly because of the devil's crewmanship. It was Job's context, but it's in our Bibles, which means it can be and can have the devil involved. Even sickness. Remember the lady that was sick for 18 years? 
Who was attributed to that? Who had her locked for 18 years? The Bible says the devil had her locked for, seven, for 18 years. Now, not every sickness is because of the devil, but into a formula of sin, calamity, sickness, is the devil. Right. This morning I just wanted to highlight this reality. This person and his schemes. And I'll close with this. 1 Peter 5 verse 8. It's a well-known text. 1 Peter 5 verse 8. And I'll close with this. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. All right, Christians? We've woken up. Amen? Amen? Okay. We have woken up. Christians, we say this often. It's not for sissies. The devil is real life. It's real life. Bedrooms, churches, workplace, in your own heart. In your own heart. Even in the heavenlies. Praise the Lord for Jesus Christ. And His intercession for us. So if I were to say it, be sober-minded, be watchful. I would say take it seriously. Take it seriously. This is not Marvel stuff or DC comic stuff. This is not hocus pocus, fairy tale, mythology, or some positive thinking philosophy to keep us on the straight and narrow. This is real. And we will take life seriously. Christians take life seriously. How do we not take life seriously? There's a lot of good in this life. If, if pleasure, if that's all on your agenda, you are not taking life seriously. If it's materialism, the next thing, if that's all your agenda for this life, you are not taking life seriously. If it's your career, that's, that's what you orbit around, is your career, your job. You are not taking life seriously. If your debt is spiraling out of control, you are not taking life seriously. If you have no filters by what you're watching and what you're listening to, no filters, you're exposing yourself to immorality, moral decay, moral decay, you are not taking life seriously. Those are just a few things. But beloved, we take life seriously. Why do we do that? Yes, because of all that Jesus Christ has done for us, but as we've been warned, He prowls around like a roaring lion. Have you been to a lion kill? Have you seen it? It's not pretty. It's not pretty. That buck has no idea what's coming. 
That's its point. It's to be discreet. It's to be silent. It's to be scheming and invincible. And before you know it, it's over. If the lion's roaring, it's because it's, he's, off, he's eaten already. You know, he's not going to roar before he comes. He roars after his belly is full. So we take life seriously. I know you watch America's Got Talent, people in these lion cages. That's not normal. <laughs> people in crocodile pens, putting their heads in their mouth. That's not normal. <laughs> people in snake pits. That's not normal. Friends, you're in this life. The enemy is prowling around. Don't domesticate the devil. And you're domesticating him. By what you watch, by what you're listening, by what you're orbiting around. Christians, don't tame sin. We don't domesticate the devil. Don't you dare put him off as some sort of, you know, fairy tale. If you're not a Christian, then beloved, please, today, you've got a more serious problem than the devil. And that is God's wrath. And just Jesus Christ is your escape before it's too late. I plead with you to take hold of the Lord Jesus Christ's hands. And church, I know that we're in a very polarized culture. What's right and what's wrong? What's righteous and what's not righteous? Yes, laws could be more righteous. Culture could be more righteous. Sexuality could be more righteous. All those things could be more righteous. But the more important thing is that people don't go to hell. And we've got to save them from the wrath of God. Right culture is good, but it's not everything. The devil is real. Good laws is good, but it's not everything. Protecting our sovereign state is good, but it's not everything. Hell is real. And fear that one who will put you in hell. So, beloved, let's... Take this message and, and let it spur your evangelism. We want everyone to have a good life, but we want everyone to have a good eternity. Good eternity. So non-Christian, take life seriously. You're taking life seriously when you embrace that cross. Now you've taken life seriously. <coughs> and beloved, we take life seriously with the cross. Life is not a lion cage. It's not a snake pit. It's not games. It's war. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this perspective. Your word has given us what is reality and we, we will change our worldview. It may not seem, we, we may not see that it's something is demonic or spirits or things attached to our attitudes and our actions and our inactions and conflict. But Father, you have shown us what is reality. And Father, I pray that what we have seen will change us. It will change the way we speak. It will change the way we act. It will change what we're doing. It will make a difference. Lord Jesus, we thank you 
for the firm ground on which we stand. We need not fear the devil. For Father, that would make your propitiation weak. Your propitiation is not weak. Your prayers for us are not impotent. Your power does not deflate. It is infinite. So we thank you, God. We are formidable in God, in Christ Jesus alone. And may our eyes and our hearts be attached to that, never shaken. In you, Father, we have everything. In you, we stand. In you, we're not just surviving, we will live and we will thrive. We will continue with your purposes. We will continue loving you and continue loving our neighbor. We will continue serving. We will continue praying. We will continue loving. We will continue forgiving. We will get up again. Father, because in you we have this hope. And we thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the grace of saving us from your wrath. Thank you for this grace of making us alert to the invisible schemes of the enemy. And thank you for this grace that we don't do it alone. We do it with a family. Brothers and sisters who walk together, helping each other, loving each other, praying for each other. And Lord, we thank you, looking unto you, the author and perfecter of our faith, who in you will help us not to stumble, but will present us faultless before the throne room of God. We give you all the praise and thanks. Amen. Amen. Thank you, friends. I'm sorry if I've gone a bit over time this morning. It was a bit of a, a ride. You can take your seatbelts off now. And uh, we're